Our text for today is from Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18 and reading to the end of the chapter, verse 32. Hear the word of God. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised." Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. I'm up here today to talk about the wrath of God. How many of you are excited about the wrath of God. The wrath of God. Can you think of a better conversation killer sitting around the lunchroom with your pals? Can you believe she's going out with Bob? Yeah, they went to the Wolfpack game yesterday. Do you suppose they'll get their act together this year? I don't know. Bob is pretty strange. No, I mean the Wolfpack. And then you chime in. Yeah, and how about that wrath of God? Everybody stops laughing, and sandwiches are held in mid-chew as you continue. Can you believe all the ways it's being revealed these days? Bloody ethnic wars, collapsing economies, the wrath of God. Teen pregnancies and suicide, STD epidemics, school shootings, the wrath of God. 
urban unrest, and that nagging sense of postmodern meaninglessness. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Yeah, uh, thanks for sharing. Nobody wants to hear about God's wrath. But actually, I've got a surprise for us today. As I've studied and prepared for this message, I've made an astounding discovery. The wrath of God is a good thing. What looks like as negative a reality as you will find anywhere in the Bible is really a very positive thing. Now, instead of being sad that I have to talk about it, I'm sad because those people in our lunchrooms, and probably many of us here today, don't understand and appreciate how good God's wrath really is. And I hope and pray that somehow God will use my words today to help us all accept and actually be thankful for God's wrath. In fact, let me stop and pray for that right now. Let's pray. Lord God, as we look together, perhaps a little uncomfortably, at this part of your word, it's in there, so we're going to deal with it. As we consider the reality of your wrath, Lord, I pray that you would open our minds, open our hearts, illuminate us, that we might see your wrath in all its fullness and realize that it really is a very good thing. And to make good use of it in our own lives and and to help others to do the same. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The main argument of Romans begins at verse 118, where we begin reading today. A surprising verse about wrath coming so quickly after Chapter 1, verses 16 and 17's triumphant proclamation of the gospel's power for salvation. Paul's first point is this. No one stands in right relationship to God on his or her own. Total need is the phrase Karl Barth used in his monumental Romans commentary of the 20th century to describe our situation. Everyone stands in a position of total need before God. This is crucial to understand and accept because if we cannot admit our need, we will not accept God's grace. Our main problem is sin, a condition of our inner selves willfully oriented against and away from God rather than for and with him. As Paul describes, God plainly reveals himself all around us in the world he has made, and we suppress the truth. Actively and willfully, the primitive tribesman suppresses what God is telling him through the ordering of nature. Actively and willfully, the modern businesswoman pushes away the truth about God shouted at her by her dying conscience. Week after week, the intelligent congregation hears messages from God's specially revealed word of truth, and week after week, actively and willfully, they choose not to do what the Bible says. Then, sin means we do not live in right relationship with God. 
We should be worshiping and honoring God as God. We should be thanking him continuously for all he does for us. But we don't. Instead, we turn away from the living God and put other things, other little gods, first in our hearts. Other things besides the claims of God upon us and his revealed desires for us motivate our choices and color our values. This is called idolatry. It is an exchange, really the worst trade a person can ever make, but one we all rush toward with callous indifference. And how does God respond to our sin? What does God do when we insist on trading away everything for nothing? What is the answer from heaven when earth's human inhabitants turn away from the living God, refuse to honor and thank him, and suppress the truth? Wrath. Here is a phrase Paul repeats three times. God gave them over. God gave them over to impurity and degradation, to shameful lusts, to a depraved mind. If there are things we want more than Almighty God, Almighty God gives us over to those things. He lets us go. Notice carefully, though, that Paul does not say God gives us what we want. He he says God gives us to what we want. What we love and honor, fear and serve more than God gets us. But nothing other than the living, creating, sustaining God can give us what we truly want and need. We can only get real joy and peace, lasting health and wholeness, strong security and significance, and true love in relationship to him. Every idol ultimately destroys us, but God brings life. This is what is true, and this is why God's wrath is a good thing. Our sin doesn't fit with God's program for real and lasting human health and wholeness, so he reveals wrath against it. But God's wrath doesn't fit our program of serving our own gods and proclaiming human wisdom by suppressing divine truth, so we rewrite it. It's a bad trade. What are some of the truths God has revealed about his wrath? And how do we alter them? And how can this divine wrath actually be something to thank God for? Let's examine what Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 1, focusing especially on the first verse. Verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. If you want to follow along in your sermon outline, This is when you can start filling in blanks if you want. First of all, God's wrath is real. There's your your first answer, real. There is no hint that Paul is using the idea of divine wrath as a metaphor for unexplained human tragedies or accidents. Wrath is real. And it is a backhanded tribute to the dignity of human beings. God himself takes our choices seriously. God can love us and be pleased with us, but he can and does also become angry for us. Wrath is real, and so we must deal with it. But we don't want to deal with it, so we rewrite it. Our world says all this wrath stuff is imagined. Imagined. 
It is simply a way for simple minds to explain complex events. Escalating strife, malice, and violence in our cities, increasing depravity in our papers and on our screens, families torn apart by faithlessness and heartlessness, senseless children defying parents, arrogance and deceit applauded in the business world. When God says his wrath is real, and we say it is imagined, we are suppressing the truth, and we are going to experience more of this thing we say does not exist. If we're able to look at it, it will be shown. And this is the next thing Paul affirms about God's wrath. It is revealed. It is visible and present. And this revelation is a continuing process. The wrath of God is being revealed, Paul says. We do not have to look very far to see evidence for the wrath of God. Sinful, rebellious lives tend to bring on dire consequences for all of us. This is not a matter of guesswork. God has put it in writing for us, and not just in the Bible. It's reported in every issue of the Reno Gazette Journal and advertised in every edition of the News and Review. Still, we rewrite the holy editor's copy. We think of God's wrath as something hidden, a mysterious force beyond our sight or which we will only see later. I once heard about an employee who was fired. About a year earlier, he had received a very poor review from his supervisor. He simply was not doing the job. But his work did not improve, so he was called into the division manager's office and offered a program of additional remedial training. The employee showed little interest in this help, So the company owner met with him and gave him a stern warning and a list of specific duties and measures of expected improvement. Nothing changed. So a letter went to his home from the personnel office stating that unless he dramatically changed his work habits, he would be terminated in 30 days. 30 days days came and went. No change. On day 31 the personnel director came and told this employee he no longer worked for the company. What do you mean? he asked. You're fired. Fired? Yes. Haven't you been paying attention? We have given you warning after warning. The now former employee responded, I didn't know you were serious. God is not going to surprise us with his wrath. It is being revealed today. God is serious about our sin, and he is giving us warning after warning. If we are surprised on judgment day, it will be because of our foolishness, not because of God's treachery. God's wrath is good. God's wrath then is also reasonable. It is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. Our wickedness deserves such wrath. In fact, Paul says it deserves death. Everyone is without excuse in this matter. If God is God, his wrath is not unfair or undeserved. Notice also it is directed not against people, but against the godlessness and wickedness of men. God does not desire to kill us. He desires to extinguish our sin. 
Sin hurts us and is an abomination to God. It is reasonable for a holy God not to sit still, but actively to destroy it. If we refuse to let go of what is killing us, if we would rather wrap our arms tightly around our wickedness and descend into the pit, does this prove God to be unreasonable? I don't think so. But somehow we rewrite wrath so that it comes out capricious instead of reasonable. We pretend it is meted out willy-nilly. Our problem in this matter may be that we tend to think God's wrath is like human wrath. It is not. Human wrath is never entirely reasonable. It depends on what kind of mood we're in. There is always an element of selfishness in our anger. Seldom, maybe never, do we care enough about the one we lash out against. God, however, is not like us. He is never subject to bad moods. His wrath is deserved. It is an expression of concern for us as well as against us. It is good. We cannot judge God by human standards. We must not try. Instead, we must resolve to judge ourselves according to God's standards. God's wrath is also relational. Relational. But we tend to rewrite it in our minds as impersonal. A force that occasionally comes from far away. Lightning bolts to pay sinners back for crossing the line. Car crashes and diseases. If you practice sexual immorality, sexual promiscuity, God's wrath will get you. When we hear this, I think, our minds run to pay back diseases like syphilis or AIDS or to pay back circumstances like unwanted pregnancy. I don't want to discuss whether or not AIDS, like any other disease, is part of God's wrath poured out on a sinful world. But if the wrath of God is primarily expressed by the impersonal inflicting of these kinds of maladies, why doesn't everybody who sleeps around get them? To push God's wrath wholly onto accidents or diseases is to miss the real and profound and relational nature of God's wrath. Let me illustrate this using the sin of sexual immorality. If you are sexually promiscuous, you will, no matter who you are, experience an erosion of your human dignity. Your sense of wonderful humanness, made in the image of the Creator God, will be chipped away. Your self-respect and your respect for others will deteriorate. Finally, you will come to see yourself as little more than a thing, and others equally worthless things of interest to you only because they push your button when your little pleasure God says, come and worship me. And actually, it goes back a step further. As James Dunn points out in his commentary on Romans, sexual immorality is not the cause of God's wrath, but the result of it. The real sin is turning away from God and to idols. So God lets us go, and the promiscuous lifestyle is the result. The same could be said for every kind of sin, the self-medicating lifestyle, the materialistic lifestyle, the bullying lifestyle. 
All are the result of God's wrath, which comes when we suppress the truth and turn to idols. This is the real wrath of God in action. And it is inescapable when you sin because it is not the car crash on your way home from the adulterous liaison. Most adulterers don't crash. Wrath is present in the act of sin itself. It is slow and steady. It is built into the fabric of your choice to rebel against God. It is the reward our little gods give to their followers. Destruction, depravity, death, the wrath of God. It is relational. God gives us over. He lets us go. If we want to break up with God and go with other gods, he lets us. But his wrath will come because he does not want to break up with us. Finally, God's wrath is redemptive. And in the little parentheses below, it rescues. Our world, which keeps trying hard to suppress the truth about us and God, looks at God's wrath as something entirely destructive. So we tend to rewrite what God has revealed and only say it condemns. But that is not the whole story. Why does God send his wrath? Because he hates sin? Yes. Because he refuses to cooperate with our rebellion against him? Yes. Because he will not allow his great name to be dishonored? Yes. But in addition, God's wrath serves a redemptive purpose. God will not be a codependent in our destructive idolatries. Paul says God gives us over, but he really doesn't, not entirely. God will not sit idly by while we foolishly destroy ourselves with our bad trades. He will throw warning after warning at us in the form of his wrath. Why? Because God loves us and desires more than we know for us to turn back to him, to health, to wholeness, to love, to life. God's wrath is good. What can we do about our predicament which puts us under the wrath of God? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's Paul's point here. We are in a condition of total need. If we read this paragraph, if we hear this paragraph and say, well, I'm not that bad, I'm in pretty good shape, we're reading it incorrectly and wait for chapter 2. Paul will have some very poignant things to say to those who think that this first description of pagan sort of sins means that they're pretty good people after all, good religious people. We are all in a condition of need. But as we shall see later on in Romans, and as we are going to affirm today in the Lord's Supper, God in Christ does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God provides his total help for our total need. God's wrath then can play an important role for us by convincing us of our need and pointing us toward God's help in Jesus Christ. How many of us 
have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ only after experiencing the dark and hopeless place of God's wrath. It is a good thing. Thank God that he cared enough to send his wrath. Let me close with a final illustration. Imagine, if you will, a small town in, let's say, Missouri, uh, Missouri, where all the people have been hopelessly hooked on video games. Everybody has an Xbox, Nintendo Switch, or PlayStation at home, and everybody has games going on their phones at all times. All commerce has stopped. The wheat fields are left unharvested. The farmers are playing Mario Kart. The general store sells only batteries. The grocer is into Fortnite and Fallout. Suddenly, people start experiencing acute abdominal pains. Then people start dying. At the funerals, it's hard to hear over all the beeps and clicks of the games as the minister talks between rounds of Minecraft. Imagine a doctor comes to this crazy town and quickly gives a name to the people's pain. He says it is called hunger. You must eat or you will die, he says. Look how thin you are all getting. Harvest your crops. Restock your pantries. Eat. But the people will not let this advice intrude upon their games. The iPhones keep beeping and children keep dying. The doctor goes away, but he comes back later with syringes full of medicine. This will help, he says. And he gives everyone a shot. The medicine takes away the pain of hunger. People are happier till their dying day, just a few days later. Within a month, the last person in town falls down, clutching a Super Smash Brothers cartridge, and lay dead next to a field of waving wheat. Was this doctor good? Another misery, uh, Missouri town, just a ways down the highway, same problem. No eating, lots of meaningless games. A different doctor comes to this town. You must eat or you will die, he says. Look how thin you are all getting. Harvest your crops. Restock your pantries. Eat. But the people will not let this advice intrude upon their games. The playstations keep beeping and children keep dying. The doctor goes away. But he comes back later with syringes full of medicine. This will help, he says. And he gives everyone a shot. The medicine is actually a catalyst which enhances natural processes. Under normal conditions, it has no effect. But when there is an accompanying condition of acute vitamin deficiency because of malnourishment, it increases internal pain and causes blindness. Gradually, the people lose their sight. It becomes harder and harder to play their silly games. The pain is intense and they can't see. Some people continue playing and starving even when they are totally blind and can see nothing that is happening on their screens. Others, though, realize the futility of what they are doing and start eating again. They get better, and they try to get others to follow their example and take some nourishment. 
Some farmers and business people go back to work. And they give a name to the medicine that is in them all, causing them such pain and pointing to such healing. They call it doctor's wrath. And they know it is a good thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. Even about wrath. Lord, we know that you are a good and loving God. And what you do, you do for our benefit and blessing. Help us to see even wrath in that light. Lord, also help us to see your holiness and goodness. Help us to be your agents of health and wholeness and light in a world that desperately needs to know your love and turn to you. Thank you for this opportunity to consider again the truth of your word. Thank you for your help. We pray these things in your name and for your sake. Amen.